Hello and welcome to episode 92 of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. For those of you who are listening for the first time, my name is Julian Carl and I'm the CEO and the co-founder of Synergen Group. And I'm passionate about all things leadership and management and so passionate in fact that I decided to start a podcast about it. And here we are in season two and my purpose for the podcast continues to be the same, to raise the standard of leadership. In today's show, I speak with David Sharrock, who is the managing principal of Sharrock Pittman Legal, a thriving and boutique Melbourne-based commercial law practice where the credo is on your side. David is also a nationally accredited and experienced mediator and dispute resolution expert, with his aim being to work with you on practical solutions to avoid the need for costly court proceedings. He has extensive business experience over 40 years and provides business consulting to the owners and managers of small to medium enterprises and the executive and board members of not-for-profit organisations. And he advises on practical matters relevant to running their enterprises. And just because he's not busy enough, he recently authored Fighting for Enterprise Success Through the Eye of a Tiger, a practical workbook comprising a 440-page journey through 44 years of personal and enterprise experience with 68 self-assessment tools, samples, and templates. Uh, kid you not, it's an awesome book. We start by looking back at when David was first in a leadership role and the challenges associated with this. We speak a lot about servant leadership and why it's a leadership philosophy that David believes in. We also take some time to look at the challenges of leaving full-time employment and when David started his own business. And we finish the interview by talking about the challenges that the legal profession will face in the coming years. So keep listening. As always, really like to hear your thoughts about the interview with David Sharrock, Managing Principal of Sharrock Pittman Legal. Happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian returns in 2019 with weekly conversations with leaders and authors from Australia and around the world, giving you the opportunity to share in their journey and learn from their expertise and knowledge. Julian also shares some of the tools and techniques he uses as a leader, mentor and facilitator helping you to build your leadership capability and improve your confidence as a leader. Welcome, David, to the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time to actually come out to our HQ and, and hang out with me uh, so that the listeners have a bit of an idea about who you are. Are you able to share a little bit about who is David Sharrock? <laughs> sure. Happy to do that, and thank you very much for having me. And uh... G'day to your listeners as well. Uh, yes, my name is David Sharrock. I'm the managing principal of Sharrock Pittman Legal, a law firm uh, in Glen Waverley in Melbourne. Um, so that's my claim to fame. I've been doing that gig for some 22 years. Um, and uh, uh, we have about 20 employees. And I sort of free range across everyone. So... Uh, uh, that keeps me quite busy, focusing on quality, on standards. Um, so that's about it in a nutshell. We're a commercial sort of law firm, boutique commercial. Okay. Yeah. And is there an interesting fact that uh, yeah, the listeners might not know about uh, your firm? I think one of the really interesting things is that we're not just a law firm per se, and this is what needs to happen in the legal industry and arguably across the board in other industries, we, we've developed um, uh, three, uh, really four, ancillary services. So we're more than lawyers. So we're nicely balanced 
um, uh, with an e-law practice. We call that legal rocket with our mediation service, mediation of, of workplace disputes. That's called Dispute Over. Uh, the Reluctant Entrepreneur conducts our business club and uh, public speaking and that sort of thing, uh, which is very exciting. And lastly, we've released our book, which we'll talk about a bit later, um, and, and that's got its own website. And so that gives a lot of uh, strength to our law practice. Obviously, first and foremost, we've got to be excellent lawyers. Yeah. But these ancillary services are an extra offering to the community, and we feel really good about that. And it gives us some good balance, some fallback, and that sort of thing. Interested in what you said then about the uh, the entrepreneur one and the public speaking. Can you ever share a little bit more about that? Uh, well, it really was born out of uh, the business club, which in turn came out of the GFC. I saw uh, that there were lots of businesses in those days going to the wall. Lots of our own customers uh, uh, and uh, just anecdotally, it was a very nasty period. Indeed, since then, the economy has hardly improved. Uh, it's very flat at the moment, very difficult, and uh, we're close to recession. But we'll see where that goes. Uh, that's just a challenge we've got to take on the chin in small to medium enterprises, and we do. Um, so a business club was born in the community, not just for our own customers, but for the community, for business owners, um, and um, uh, not-for-profit uh, senior executives, board members. And that has been going for many years and uh, meets quarterly over lunch with some guest speakers on some wonderful business-related topics. Uh, and it's fantastic. Uh, people fly out the door at the end of it, really equipped with some good practical help to take into their own businesses, organisations, to help them improve and ultimately be successful. Um, so that was the business club. Uh, oh, and the entrepreneurship came out of that. Yeah. Where I was speaking at uh, the business club quite a lot, as well as guest speakers. And so we saw a need to have a public speaking. Uh, the business club, incidentally, is named um, the School of Hard Knocks, for stressed business people and reluctant entrepreneurs, named in honour of moi. <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, so it's a reluctant entrepreneurship. It's not your typical way out there, uh, let's crash and burn, uh, hang the consequences, and we're going to take high risk with lots of dollars uh, going out the door, etc. No, no, no not for small to medium enterprises in Australia. So it's a different sort of entrepreneurship. And, and I do some public speaking and some retreats and conferences and stuff like that. So uh, that's very exciting as a sort of ancillary service, as I say. Yeah, yeah, it is. All right, well, I'd like to take you back, uh, all the way back to your, uh, the beginning of your leadership journey. And we're able to share with the listeners a little bit about the, the first significant leadership role you had and a little bit about around that. It was very interesting as I reflected on my own personal journey and leadership. It's gone 
parallel. There's two parallel streams to it, which I think is very interesting. Uh, believe it or not, it probably started when I was in primary school, grade six, and I became a prefect. Wow, that uh, that blew my little doors off in those days. Uh, I'm now 65, so we're going back eons. Uh, and uh, uh, from there, moving into leadership in my high school and uh, into my uh, children's school board and into various boards in the not-for-profit sector doing some social justice stuff. So as board member, I learned a lot about leadership as well. So that's one track. The other track is the professional law firm um, and ancillary service sort of track. So that, that's been uh, the start of the journey. The real first professionally, let's focus on professionally, uh, I, uh, as a very young lawyer, um, uh, was the coordinator of the Monash Oakley Legal Service. I was given the mandate of establishing a community legal service in what was then the city of Oakley, um, and it was a student-run service. So I was in charge of the students, uh, 20 or so per semester, and uh, I was responsible for overall advice and legal assistance to people in need in the community. It was directly under the law school, and I learned an awful lot about leadership in my very early years, how it wasn't an issue of title. You can't, you're not a leader because you're a senior tutor in law at Monash University or you're coordinator of Monash Oakley Legal Service. That doesn't cut it. You have to learn leadership from scratch and, and, and learn from your own mistakes and see what influence you're having on others who are following you. And in that very sensitive environment of being a coach and mentor to law students, I learned a lot about my strengths in leadership, my shortcomings. And, um, and it's been a fascinating journey from there. I learned there that it's not an issue of... Um, um, power or, or position or status or, or kudos or self-interest. That's not what makes a good leader at all. Quite the opposite. It's in fact giving away, it's serving, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's enabling others to reach their full potential. It's a, it's a, it's a sacrificial thing really and I learned it really early on that would have been my mid-twenties, so very young for that degree of responsibility. Yeah, and when you reflect back now, do you can you remember that after you'd had a little bit of taste, it, was there some sort of moment, event, something where you thought, this leadership thing is for me, this is what I want to do, I always want to be in a leadership role? No, no. I don't think it was, and I'd caution against that. If you are grabbing for leadership, it's probably driven by ego more than anything. Uh, others will recognise your leadership abilities or your leadership potential, and they will invite you. It's not a matter of you seeking it out and grabbing it for what it is, leadership per se. I have always been much more interested in the role and the outcomes from the role. It's never been uh, one of my aspirations to be the leader, as though that was the be-all and end-all. So it's been really, for me, a serendipitous journey. I haven't pursued it. In fact, you could say that I have 
uh, backed away from leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I have not, uh, because it's too hard. So often there's a lot of responsibility. It's almost impossible. And we've all got to have our L plates on the whole of our lives, learning about leadership, learning from our mistakes. So it's not an easy journey at all. And, uh, yeah, that's the way I figure it for me anyway. And how long were you in that? That, role. That, that was two years. I had yes. a, I'd started a young family and just needed to, frankly, being a bit commercial, needed more money. <laughs> it wasn't paying enough yeah. to pay the bills uh, with a mortgage and, and young family starting off. That's to be brutally honest. Yeah. But my great pleasure is that that's some 38 years ago and it continues today going from strength to strength. I am absolutely chuffed at my little contribution to kick it off in those very early pioneering days. And uh, that, that's a delight for me to know that they're still going on and having great impact in the community, great benefit. Mm. So I'm interested in uh, why you decided to start your own business. So, you know, I consider that as a significant leadership role. So are you able to provide a bit more context around that? Yeah, a bit more context is important because from the legal service at Monash, I went on into a law partnership uh, in Box Hill with a very small law firm that during my years there grew like Topsy. Um, and there were three of us, uh, Young Turks, as partners and uh, we just grabbed the bull by the horns and it was go, go, go. And that was the 80s, and that was very, very exciting. Um, those, were the, those were the halcyon days for law firms. Those were when lawyers were actually respected <laughs> in the community and trusted and, and, and those sort of things. It's much more different today in this customer-centric society in which we try to exist. Uh, it is totally different, in fact. Um, so... Uh, I was there for many years as a partner, and that was a natural thing, um, and learnt, again, an awful lot about leadership, and particularly about servant leadership, uh, that it wasn't about power and authority and kudos and status and self-interest and dollars. It was uh, much more sacrificial than that, and those were very, very rich learning years for me as a law partner. And, um, yeah, very exciting. But that got me to the point where I needed to stretch my wings and do my own thing and effectively start my own law practice. Um, it, was a, uh, it, was a, it was a game thing to do in those days. It was probably a bit of a stupid thing to do looking back, but sometimes you've got to do what you've got to do. And if you really are at the stage in your life where you want to fly and you don't want to be held back. You want to do your own thing. You want to create something special. Uh, uh, then you've got to do what you've got to do. So that was the, the time for doing it for me. So we bought a, a little probate and conveyancing practice in Glen Waverley, a one-man job from someone who was retiring. And uh, that was some 22 years ago, and it is what it is today, a thriving commercial law practice with 20 people and for me as uh, the managing principal as 
the primary leader, I guess you say. Uh, uh, it's what's caused me a lot of grey hairs. <laughs> so there you go. That's the story behind it. Very exciting journey. So I'm curious about, because I, I know that legal firms quite often have different sort of structures to to a lot of, I won't say normal businesses, but just sort of more businesses that people might be more familiar with. So when, when you're in this partner role, so you're in this young partner role, mm. not only are you responsible for generating revenue and, and you know, billing per hour and all those sort of things, but you're also responsible for allocating work and, 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 and leading a particular team. Is that is that how it works in the law firm? Oh, very much so. And, uh, yes, it's all to do with gearing, what's called gearing. So you've got... Uh, uh, your lawyers who are direct reports to you, who are part of a subgroup within the law firm as it gets bigger and bigger, and they are their own revenue base, if you will, within the larger context. So that's how it works, and uh, your accountability is to your fellow partners um, and to the full team, I would add. Um, a lot of law firm partners may not hold to that, but I do, and, and also accountable to customers, no less. Which are commonly called clients. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, they call them they dominate. They, they dictate how we practice law. Yeah, and they call the tune. They make the choices in the marketplace as to whether we get the Guernsey or not. So that's that's fair enough too. When you're in your role now as as sort of managing principal, leading a team of twenty people, which is probably double the size of of my team, and I know the challenges I have in. in leading a team of, you know, there's nine of us. Well, what are you learning about yourself as a leader now? Every day is a learning day. I say that I have my L plates on and they will not be taken off because I must continue to learn uh, about leadership and how to improve my own leadership, how to train other leaders and... Um, impart my knowledge and skills in some way to help them um, reach their full potential as well. So that's the way I see it. I learn every day that unlike the Pope, I am in fact fallible. <laughs> I, do, I do make mistakes. And by myself, I don't think I'm a great shot. I mean, you know, in those very early days with my wife who was in the law firm with me 22 years ago, uh, we thought we would go bankrupt. It was probably the most stupid thing we've done in our lives. But <laughs> you do what you do and the consequences are what they are. And I remember after 12 months or so of sleepless nights and worrying about bankruptcy, etc., I flew to Sydney and met with a uh, uh, management guru there, um, by the name of Sam Beasley, it was at a conference and he spoke on vision. You know, law firms and law firm leaders having vision. I'm going, what the? I, 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 I'm struggling. <laughs> I, I don't know whether I'm going to make tomorrow, Sam. So I went up to him and I said, Sam, this is my story. He looked at me. He's now retired, a very, very lovely gentleman. He, he looked at me and he said, uh, David, don't worry about vision as such. Where you're at, Worry about quality of service. Give the very best service that you can give to your customers and focus on that. Flying back in the plane, it was like light had switched on and I went for it. I just focused like crazy 
on being the best law firm in Melbourne concerning professional service delivery to make customers excited about what they were receiving from us. That was the vision, if you like. Yeah. Very embryonic, but it worked. And 22, what, say 20 years later, um, we are where we are today, totally different from those uh, very, very tough, difficult days back then. Yeah, well, it's very much an evolution, isn't it? Yeah. That, you know, because I've seen plenty of those business gurus as well in my mm. time and everyone says you need to do this, this and this. But yeah. When you're starting out, yeah. it's essentially about survival yeah. and you just need to do whatever you need to do to survive. And then as you grow and the business becomes more stable, then I think you're able to really look deeper at some of the things around vision and all those type of things. Yes, and all those kind of things are critically important. But Rome wasn't built in a day. So you take one day at a time, one step at a time, and you look on building your foundations, your, your business fundamentals, slowly, carefully, working, enjoying doing that and seeing the fruit of doing that well. So it's really important to do that. Um, and my hunch is that only those small to medium enterprises that focus on achieving success by getting their fundamentals right will survive and the standout ones will thrive. And in the legal industry, uh, you've got to stand out from your competition. I mean, competition is absolutely endemic. It's very, very tough marketplace. Interestingly enough, only 17% of legal problems in Australia ever come to a law firm. I repeat, 17%. So people get help through paralegal means, through uh, suppliers who are not qualified lawyers and uh, or self-help these days is massive. You can go to the high court yourself if you like, uh, and there you go. So there's a very small slice of the pie that very many lawyers and law firms are competing with. I dare say that's so, industry by industry as well. It is as tight as tight can be. We've got to do more than survive. We've got to thrive. Therefore, we work to our competitive advantage to stand out in the marketplace above all others. We have to. And what would you say your competitive advantage is in that congested sort of marketplace? Well, it's, it's, it's to do with our ancillary services that I mentioned at the outset, um, I don't know of other law firms that uh, conduct a business club in Australia. I'm unaware of any other law firm that does that. I don't say that um, to skite or, or, or anything. I just say it as a fact as far as I know. They have cocktail parties. Well, yep. Different, isn't it? <laughs> a bit different. Um, so that's certainly a competitive edge to which we work a specialisation, uh, accredited specialisation in our different areas of law to really help business people and not-for-profits is another standout feature. Having a mediation service is, is one, again, where we don't want to drag people off to court and line our own pockets with money. We want their disputes resolved in a cost-effective manner so that they can push on with better in their lives away from conflict and pain and uh, yeah, going down the court track is not a is not a good outcome. So those are just a, a few things I could go on, but uh, we very much are mindful of our competitive advantage in across the board. We work relentlessly 
on those standout features and put them out there and let the public decide, you see. Um, and, uh, uh, well, that's what we do in our planning uh, and, and uh, it's very, very important to us to work to our competitive edge, as it is for any business, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we've got a bit of, a bit of context of, of how you found yourself here in uh, September 2019. So I'm now keen to explore some of your more general views on leadership. Uh, so what do you think the biggest myth is that you've come across in leadership? The biggest myth, I think, is it's all about me. Uh, that is just not true. And we've got this very strange notion of leadership uh, where we look at the world stage and we see these turkeys strutting their stuff. And I won't name them. You don't want to be sued. I don't want to be sued. But look, frankly, um, uh, and you see it's ego, it's pride, it's power, um, um, it's being authoritarian uh, and it, it's strutting your stuff. It's putting yourself on a pedestal. That's the myth that leadership is all about me. So I've got to be the very, very best leader that I can be. Otherwise, it will all fall, fall apart. No, no, no. Quite the opposite, in fact, that leadership is all about others as a leader, you are there to serve others, to sacrifice for others, to work to their needs and interests and not your own, to enable others to become highly effective leaders. It's a giving away of yourself, in fact. So it's not all about you. And I'm only good and look good because of the quality of people I've got around me that I've imported from day dot, you see, and I need them. I need their wisdom. Their, their insights, um, uh, and and I don't make, take a step forward unless I've got consensus. So it's not all about me. I'm not Mr. Self-Righteous. So, uh, you know, I <laughs> heaven forbid. Uh, so, and that's a very interesting thing, I think, where I I have a certain vulnerability that I'm prepared to put out there to be transparent, to be open and honest, saying. I don't have it all together as a leader. I'm not Mr. Big, Mr. Eaton a bit at all. I need you guys in my life, in our business, working together, helping each other along. It's not all about me. That's, I reckon, the biggest myth. I could go on with many others, but I think that probably goes to the heart of what I bang on about. <laughs> and, and how do you describe yourself as a leader? Ooh. Uh, it comes from a paradigm. Uh, it, it's the paradigm that I disavow, one of power uh, and uh, being authoritarian and, and those sorts of things. I won't repeat myself there. The paradigm I adopt is one of servanthood, of laying it all down for others, of being sacrificial, of giving of myself even until it hurts. And that's very much me at my heart and I feel good about that I feel as though that's a right paradigm in Australia um, it's something that can be respected and accepted by others others who follow in, you know team members etc they might not agree with everything that goes on in leadership but they I think can at least respect 
what we're trying to do and our motives that are, are, are pure and, and, and put on the table, transparent and that sort of thing. So with that is, as I mentioned briefly before, a certain vulnerability. I don't mind being vulnerable. I'm not going to pretend I'm someone I'm not. Um, I, I haven't got it all together. I have my L plates on for life. I have my weaknesses and I don't mind owning them. And I will say sorry to people when I stuff up as a leader, when I say or do something that has had an adverse impact, usually inadvertently, but, you know, we bumble and stumble our way through life and through business. So I don't mind apologising sincerely and pulling it back or explaining myself better or, or whatever it might be. So there's a certain humility there and a connectedness and a strong communication style and empathy with people where I care deeply for them. And that is genuine. That is not contrived. That is essentially who I am and comes from uh, a difficult upbringing, etc. So, and, and, and the guiding light in it all and the thing that gets me up of the morning and is really at the heart of my expression of leadership is hope. It is to give people hope. And I see myself as a leader who is a hope bearer and things can be better and we can do this together and it can be for the common good. And that's very empowering for others if that is the true heart motivation of a leader. And without hubris, as much as possible, that is at my heart. And and I, I, I hope that that is true and, and will be a legacy I leave at the end of my working life. Do you think do you think many leaders struggle with the idea of acknowledging that they don't know all the answers, that they they're not all it and that they're still learning and that they you know they still have their fears about, you know, themselves and how they lead and all of that? Yeah, I think so. And in part that's why the book was written. It's a book directed at leaders to help equip them with leadership knowledge and skills and to build them up um, and to enable them to be highly effective leaders, as I call it. So uh, uh, my my hunch, and I can't produce uh, facts for this, but I reckon it's pretty true. Anecdotally, my hunch is that of anyone in Australia in leadership in a small to medium enterprise, be it for-profit, be it not-for-profit, my hunch is that 80% minimum struggle enormously with being leaders, let alone highly effective leaders, because, that's not a criticism, because it's a tough gig. It has to be learnt over time. I don't personally believe anyone's born a leader as such. Uh, you're made into a leader in spite of yourself. <laughs> and, 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 and so that means 20% are probably pretty effective as leaders. But like me, hopefully that 20% have still got their L plates on and can learn more and more how to do things better and better in leadership. That's what I reckon. I think because of the nature of our work where we, we train leaders on, on how we think they can raise their own standard, I'm always curious when I speak to other leaders if there's any particular 
methodologies, frameworks, tools that they're raving fans of? Um, um, there's a few things there. I mean, I set them out uh, in my book, Fighting for Enterprise Success. Um, uh, I think if I focus just on the technical side, um, I think it's what you're getting at. Um, uh, in terms of systems, you see, I think any small to medium enterprise must be run according to systems, like a McDonald's, if you will. Uh, plenty are run by the seat of the pants. Uh, plenty are in a chamozzle behind closed doors. So I learnt about systems theory uh, from a uh, long-deceased fellow, W. Edwards Deming, um, who was banging on about quality process control, primarily in Japan in the 1940s, 1950s. So I learnt about him and his theory, and I've transposed that into our own law practice. I reckon any leader, uh, in order to drive success, must have a systems approach to running the business. That's number one, I think. Number two, I must confess that I used to run our law practice by the seat of our pants, my pants, <laughs> until about 10 years ago um, when I came across Graham Kenny, um, a fellow from Sydney whom I respect greatly, and he taught me about strategic planning and um, that a leader must be responsible for driving the forward move of a business towards success. And that doesn't happen haphazardly. It has to happen strategically in a planned manner. And you need to know as leader how to come to achieve, uh, how to uh, dream a dream resulting in a plan of action, a strategic plan, and then making that plan happen. And those are two very important skills, but it goes much deeper than that. I, and, and it comes out in my book, uh, chapter by chapter. Uh, it's, a, it's, a self, uh, it's a self-help practical sort of workbook. Um, and, and what I do there is I really the overall purpose of the book is to bring together the three people issues that I think are profoundly important for success in an enterprise. Bottom line is, uh, leadership doesn't float in the nether-nether. I mean, it's got to be directed toward an enterprise, a business, being successful. Whatever success means in your own definition and understanding, whatever self-motivates you. So in the book, I look at any leader and any enterprise grabbing hold of uh, an overall motivation that's going to feed every aspect of the business to fuel the business along. And that motivation, and it, it's to happen with relentless passion, is to become world's best in whatever industry. Now, that's audacious. I know that's ridiculous in many respects. But by crikey, it gets me up in the morning and gets me excited. Um, and so that's really important to have that great big, uh, motivational goal and to, and to go for it. Uh, I think health-wise, it's profoundly important for any leader to be healthy in body, mind and spirit. Spirit can be well-being if that's preferred. I don't mind. And relationally, 
uh, all of these things are very important to be um, part of any leader uh, and for that leader to bring their whole selves in a healthy, life-giving way into the business. The team looks for that. Um, Sadly, I've had uh, a lot of very serious health issues in uh, the last five or six years, and uh, uh, I suffer from chronic fatigue, which is uh, I have for some five years. I will not let that beast win. I, 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 I will not give up. I, uh, I will rise to the challenge and not let it defeat me. Up until then, I was a gym junkie. Talk about, you know, I was a gladiator at our local gym, believe it or not. <laughs> now I'm a sad reflection of that past to reality. But there you go. But who you are on the inside, is profoundly important because you bring that into your leadership of your enterprise. Touch on that in the book. Um, Purpose is really important. Most leaders haven't got the foggiest what their leadership is all about. In fact, only 20%, I repeat, 20% of leaders know the real purpose of their leadership. Wow, that blows my doors off because it means 80% are fairly aimless in it all and not quite sure what their leadership is banging on about and what the outcome should be. Uh, Leadership style is really important. My particular style, uh, I'm type A, obviously. You listen to this podcast, you've got to realise that. I'm type A, highly driven uh, and and perfectionistic and all the rest. And I don't wish that upon anyone. Uh, But at the same time... um, a style is really important to connect with people and to be what I call eclectic, to have numbers of styles of leadership happening according to circumstances and the people you're encountering. There's not one style that's it in a bit and all important and the key to success, in my opinion. Team building, uh, customer centricity, uh, these are vitally important issues for any leader all driven by vision and values and principles and and all of that wonderful stuff that makes up a, a dynamic sort of enterprise. It can all happen. Let's talk about your book for a bit. Okay. So uh, for the listeners, obviously it's a, an audio podcast. This is probably a book uh, unlike any that I've uh, seen as part of my this podcast journey in that it is full colour, um, super nice paper, and importantly, I think at the back, you have provided anyone that, that purchases the book essentially all the templates that you use in your business as a way of systemizing it and, and achieving what it is you want to achieve. So I want to start off with why did you feel the need to write a book? So it's not an easy thing. It's a, it's a challenge in itself. That what was that drive? Very difficult too health uh, prevailing and uh, it's the nature of the beast I think just to put my head down tail up and uh, plug away at it I guess to tell you the truth at age 65 I've uh, had a fantastic career and uh, I've loved uh, uh, what I've done uh, professionally and I wanted to leave a legacy not for my name's sake it's never going to be a bestseller as such Uh, I wanted to leave a legacy where others who follow in whatever industry, in whatever business, 
um, are, are going to be able to learn uh, um, some of the lessons that I have learned and to use some of the materials that I have developed so they won't have to start from scratch and do the hard yards. It'll still be challenging. There's still a lot to do and a lot to contextualise from those samples and templates in the back of the book. I don't pretend they're an exemplar, uh, but they're, the idea is to stimulate ideas and get um, each leadership and each enterprise developing their own, and that will strengthen the fundamentals of their own business and uh, help withstand, for instance, a very flat economy at present uh, where recession is knocking on the door. Um, so it's to leave some footprints in the sand at my age and stage and to help others along and hopefully the journey will be a little easier than I have had. And so that, that's been the sole motivation, to tell you the honest truth, and therein lies the satisfaction in giving it away. Not interested in intellectual property rights or anything else that's there for people to pick up and use as they will. And uh, my two business partners uh, very graciously allowed that to happen. Uh, they're delightful fellows, and, uh, and uh, they're wanting, they have that same sort of heart for helping others. So there you go. And, and, and to give the listeners some uh, some examples, you have uh, its sample, for example, 12D, where you include a complete uh, template for a six-monthly performance review for lawyers yeah. with a score sheet. Yeah. And I think what that does is allows people to take the ideas and the structure here and then just tweak it a little because oh, yeah. obviously not all our listeners are lawyers. But no, no. it's fascinating to me that, the two main reasons that we work with clients is they either want to improve their leadership communication or they want to improve leaders in the business ability to manage performance. Yeah. And when we go to them and we say, if you want to manage their performance, they need some sort of support template, whatever. Yeah. Quite often it's not effectively deployed or, or, or rolled out. And here you are just giving it away to people. Yes, and I, speaking on that issue, performance reviews are a bit on the nose at the top end of town. I don't happen to agree at all. I need, I think you need uh, management or leadership by walking, uh, by being accessible um, and helping people along day by day. But we do uh, twice a year that sort of detailed performance reviews, not to wield a big stick, not at all. For example, the score sheet in there is a self-assessment. Um, it's it's not uh, Big Brother, uh, you know, marking down and being severe. If you you will have if if any criticism has been warranted for performance, you will have heard about it in the preceding six months. We don't save it up and go whack. You know, that's not that's not the way to do it at all. That will demotivate people, and before you know it, they'll be running out the door. So that alone is a very interesting uh, aspect to the book, I'm sure. I'm particularly interested in this uh, sample 5E yeah. <laughs> for the listeners. Yeah. So, in other words, the listeners, I'm giving you a, a, a hint to go and buy this book. Uh, you talk about this enterprise excellence chart. Yes. And I think this is something in particular which a leader, regardless of where they are in an organisation, so they might be a frontline leader responsible just for a team or they might be a general manager that's responsible for a division, 
I think some of the some of the things here are, are really useful. So can you talk through this idea of the enterprise excellence chart? Well, that is goes to the very heart of good process, a la Deming. <laughs> um, uh, that's where the inspiration for that chart comes from because your business from the start of connection with the customer right through to the completion of a transaction, any follow-up, etc., has to all be process-driven. Your whole team needs to be on the same tram going in the same direction. They are not there to do their own thing. And uh, if you know anything about lawyers at all, leading them is like herding cats. It's profoundly difficult. But with the help of this system, not to control people, but there to optimise um, outcomes for customers and to make life a little easier for, in this case, lawyers. Um, and, and they follow the process. They do what the protocols and the policies uh, and the actual processes say they are to do their work. Then you've got some uniformity happening because diversity is the enemy of the system. If you've got turkeys doing their own thing uh, under your own nose, uh, uh, you can create almighty messes, and in a law firm context, before you know it, you'll be slapped with a negligence action. That's how serious it can be. Whereas if we take that down a notch or two to McDonald's, producing hamburgers, it still applies. No matter what business, no matter what industry, I would highly, highly commend uh, getting a system in place. You go, oh, crikey, I can't possibly do that. I'm already so busy. Well, yes, you can, because the nuts and bolts of it are there in the book. They're there to make things quicker and easier, not not as a silver bullet, not as, as I said before, as an exemplar, but to stimulate your own ideas and get your own system going and plug away at it day by day. And over time, Rome not being built in a day, over time, it will all come together and work beautifully well. Then you've got good quality control, which is in a law firm, but any business, in fact, that's what you're after, high quality, um, no slipshoddy sort of stuff at all. So there you go. That's what 5E is all about. <laughs> okay. So. I'm curious to, to now move to the future. So what does the, the future look like for you? Uh, any sort of business goals, personal goals that, that, that you're looking to achieve? Uh, well, at age 65, of course, and health not being the best, um, I've got to reframe uh, my future. I'd love to go on forever. You know, Julian, I think the saddest part of my journey is moving toward the end. And I've got a whole lot of answers now that I didn't have when I started 45 years ago. And that's the great irony of life and of running an enterprise. You get it all together at the end and then it's nearly over and you go, crikey, whatever happened to the last 45 years? Uh, that's why I uh, commend anyone to make uh, the most of every single day. Uh, they're very precious to us. Uh, 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 and and um, uh, as for myself, uh, I am working on leaving a legacy, not just in the book, but in terms of well, this sort of podcast communication 
just helping people along, hopefully inspiring people to something better, being a hope bearer and giving them hope. That's what I'm doing now more so than ever before. And it doesn't come from hubris, from arrogance or pride at all. It comes out of a desire to serve others and to help others along as best I can. So whatever shape that has, um, you know, I imagine I'll continue as a consultant in my law firm. There's no sunset on that at the moment at all. Uh, but the day is fast looming. It's got to be. And I'll be walking off into the sunset, leaving footprints in the sand. That's my <laughs> legacy. And I'm so conscious of it at the moment. And that actually gets me up excited every day, too. It's just a different age and stage, that's all. And uh, uh, maybe, maybe the best is yet to come. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I, I think a lot of things happen what I call serendipitously. Sometimes the more we plan stuff, uh, the more it gets derailed. I'm not saying don't plan. I'm quite the opposite. But uh, frankly, a lot of stuff happens in our lives and in our businesses, uh, what I call serendipitously. It just happens like manna from heaven, if you will. And that's very exciting. And you've got to catch the moment when that's happening and make the most of the opportunity that presents. That's uh, very much a part of it all. And what challenges do you think the legal industry is going to face in the next five to ten years? It's not just the legal industry, but I'll focus on the legal industry. Uh, you see, the legal industry, we're basically a dinosaur profession. I mean... Lots of lawyers and law firms uh, really without, I'm not wanting to be critical of my colleagues, I'm actually uh, the top performing ones are superb. Uh, but it's an issue of um, uh, not embracing change uh, rapidly enough, not recognising opportunities, not standing out from the crowd and being different to make a difference. Same old just cuts it day in and day out. Well, uh -uh, that ain't going to work. Traditional law practice is almost dead and buried. And those who have not realised that if, yet will be left in the dust. Uh, that's in the legal industry. Uh, it's highly competitive. Uh, there are lots of people providing paralegal services in competition to lawyers and law firms. I happen to embrace that. I love the challenge that that provides and bring on the competition is my attitude. I would say in any industry, in any business, it's not dissimilar. A change is tumultuous at the moment. Innovation, a real buzzword, uh, but innovation, not just in uh, electronic uh, senses, e-tech senses, but, but innovation across the board, i.e. a business club, a law firm running a business club, for example, just doing things differently to make a difference, as I say. Innovation is profoundly important. If you don't innovate, you are, gonna, you, you are just going to be left behind. You might survive, maybe. You certainly won't thrive. And that is really the key to business success. You, you've got to be thriving there and uh, making stuff happen. So I see uh, plenty of businesses everywhere being left in the dust. And I think that's very sad if that happens. In part, the book is intended to redress that. And as I want to say, give people hope for something better. Yeah.
Are there any leaders that inspire you? Oh, uh, yes, there is one standout, and I do write about him in, in the book. I've learned a lot from other leaders when, when I've been following others. A lot of the leadership I have experienced has been quite dysfunctional. Uh, quite damaging to me. I suppose it might be because I'm not a particularly good follower. <laughs> I, uh, I imagine I'm quite difficult in that respect. But nevertheless, a lot of the leadership that I have suffered under has been dysfunctional and very damaging. So I tend to want to do the opposite. But there is one standout person in history that I look at and admire, and that is Dr. Martin Luther King, um, he was, as I'm sure listeners recall, um, a civil rights leader in the 1950s and 1960s in the USA. Um, he fought for the rights of um, uh, uh, African Americans uh, who were in those days um, uh, struggling with poverty and discrimination and housing issues, job issues, etc., very much the poor and the needy. Dr. King rose up and um, in a non-violent way caused there to be a revolution in America because of his impactful leadership, his passion, his care, his concern, his drive, his focus, whatever else is there. He actually wasn't perfect as a human being in real life, but he really had uh, the good of others on his heart and worked hard to see injustice righted. He inspires me. And in my own itty-bitty way, I try to follow a little bit. In his, who, who am I to follow Dr. Martin Luther King for crying out loud? But still and all, he inspires me and I do my best. Uh, uh, so, uh, sadly, of course, he was assassinated uh, in um, Memphis, Tennessee, um, and that was an extremely sad day for the world and the future world at that. I just don't understand those sort of things and why that happens, but there you go, a giant of a leader who achieved much, who revolutionised and opened doors of freedom and as a hope bearer, gave hope to others. That's the key. That's the key. If people want to find out more about you and the work that you do, where should they go? Uh, I guess the best place might be to our business website. I'm not touting there for work. I'm just saying that's the, a good point of connection, www.sharrockpitman.com.au or the business um, website is a good connection as well, uh, uh, fightingforenterprisesuccess.com, all one word, fightingforenterprisesuccess.com. That'll connect us. Uh, and, and if people want a little bit of a helping hand, I'm very, very happy to help people along in whatever way. It, uh, that, that, that's my joy and privilege these days. So there you go. And any last words on leadership as we wrap it up? I think I would just like to put a challenge out there to your listeners. Our leadership is profoundly challenging. Uh, 
any sensible person ought to run a country mile <laughs> rather than stand up as a leader. It is hard. Uh, but the joy of it all uh, and, and the reward you get from seeing others reach their full potential and... Uh, uh, that That is the kudos. Uh, that is the thing, the giving back that you get. And so my challenge really in winding up is that any leader anywhere in any industry must, must, must fight for enterprise success. The real question is, are you up to it? Well, on that note... Thank you so much, David, for being part of the Synergy and Leadership Podcast. Thank you very much, Julian. It's been a real pleasure. My very best to your listeners. Well, that wraps up episode 92 of the Synergy and Leadership Podcast, another great business leader episode for you. I'd like to encourage you, head on over to the Synergy Group website, engage in the conversation with us, tell us what you liked about the episode, tell us who you'd like us to interview, or tell us what sort of content you'd like us to deliver too. If you are an iPhone user, please feel free, head on over to the Apple site and leave us a review. really does help us build awareness of the podcast. In next week's episode, we have another great author interview episode for you, where I speak with Greg Smith, who is the author of Career Conversations, How to Get the Best from Your Talent Pool. It's another great interview. Until then, love to hear what you think. Happy listening.